Hi, listeners. Andrew here with a brief message before the start of the show. Harper Audio Presents has a new sound. We've developed brand new segments, lots of great games and listener giveaways, and you're hearing from more members of the HarperCollins team. Welcome to Season 2 of Harper Audio Presents. What does this all mean? Simple. We're giving you, the listener, a celebration of all things audiobooks. Not just interviews, but conversations with authors, narrators, and the people who make audiobooks. Most importantly, this show is all about fun. Each week, the show has a theme with different segments. You don't need to listen in order, but you'll want to hear them all. And surprise, you're about to listen to Season 2, Episode 4. Subscribe to the podcast feed to access all four new episodes for free, absolutely no catch, and new episodes will be delivered to your device when you awake on Wednesday mornings every other week. That's twice a month. Here's how to subscribe. Open the podcast app on your smartphone or computer, search for Harper Audio Presents, click the subscribe button. That's it. Now, a humble request. While you're listening to this episode, take one minute, 60 seconds out of your life to rate us five stars on your podcast app and leave a short review. You can do it while the episode is still playing and it does more to boost the show than you'd ever imagine. On the Apple Podcast app, just scroll down a few inches on the Harper Audio Presents page, tap five stars, then write even a one-line review about what you'd love about the new format, and we'll love you forever. Now, onto the show. Hello, audiobook fans. Welcome to another episode of Harper Audio Presents. I think it's safe to say that in the last few years, the entire audio world has been booming. Audiobooks are huge, podcasts are huge, and now audiobooks about podcasts are huge. Today, we're focusing on Riverdish. It's an upcoming audiobook based on a podcast that discusses a TV show that's based on a comic. Let that sit for a minute. I promise that's as deep as this Inception-like chain is going to go today. Riverdish is the popular podcast where hosts Ryan Bloomquist and Sam Gold share their unique and comical musings on the hit TV show Riverdale, a gritty teen reboot of the classic Archie comics. Now, the Riverdish team has authored a book of the same name, and they've stopped by our podcast to chat about it. Fellow HarperCollinsite Tyler Brightfeller has kindly stepped in as host for this convo with Ryan and Sam. They chat about how the audiobook captures the magic of their podcast, their experiences on the Riverdale set, and so much more. So, take it away, Tyler. Do we jump in? Yeah. We'll let you, like... So, Riverdish, obviously going strong. Sure is. Yeah. People, the fans of the show, know that it was based on Archie Comics, which is super iconic. But what inspired you to start a podcast about the show? The truthful answer to that is really both Sam and I were looking to start our own podcast, like mostly as a grab for attention. Uh, And then the show Riverdale started. We both watched the pilot independently and we were like texting each other about it. We were like, oh my God, the show is crazy. It's going to blow up. We were both fans of like Pretty Little Liars, Gossip Girl, all those teen shows. And then we went to brunch together. Yeah, we went to Lady Gaga's family restaurant, Joanne's Trattoria, and we 
had very poor service. Great restaurant, but it was very slow. So we ended up having a lot of mimosas. They do bottomless mimosas there, which like I would recommend. And it was great because they just kept bringing pitchers. But we tried to get a check for like three hours. So we ended up like a few pitchers deep. And then we said, should we just go home and record now? So we like had a friend with us. We went back to my apartment. We pressed record, kind of just talked about the episode, and Riverdish was born. Yeah. It was very official. <laughs> but now it's like weirdly become our lives. That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, it's like, it's that's, like a plot line on the show. <laughs> it truly is. And that's, you can't make it up. Like that's how it was born. So thank you, Lady Gaga and your family. <laughs> Incredibly fitting. Yes. Yeah. Isn't it? I think sort of like the crazy part about the show is our lives are in no means as crazy as theirs. Like we're not fighting and boxing rings and prisons and like dealing drugs on the side. But in many ways, our lives like kind of are as crazy as these characters. So like I think both Sam and my sensibility of like wild, wacky, campy, theater like heightened emotion is like very much where we both live as people so i like in many ways adapting the podcast to the book kind of felt like a natural fit it really did it was something that kind of happened pretty seamlessly because yes these storylines are wacky and crazy but talking about it for us is so much fun and such a thrill every week so just putting it into words and writing is something we didn't realize like oh this is amazing too and kind of even like having to recap the show every week, we're always trying to keep tabs of like who's guilty of what, like what even happened last week, what happened five weeks ago. So like both Sam and I independently kept notes anyway of like what was happening on the show, what's happening with each character. And that's kind of what the book is. It's an exploration of each character. We do like character profiles, you know, walk through what everyone's guilty of. Yeah, it all kind of came together pretty naturally. Was it weird, like, adapting from writing scripts per episode to just laying it all out there and seeing where things were at the beginning, where they are now? Yeah, you know, it's pretty crazy because we always, as Ryan said, try to make sense of all of it. So writing it out narratively, seasons one to three, we're trying to go through every crime and every suspect and... Listen, everyone in this town is guilty of something. So just going through it, it kind of made it all make more sense to us. And I think we're now like... Riverdale savants, where we watch it and we're like, oh, this is definitely going to tie back because of this. So we try to just make sense of it recap-wise and also just character-wise in the book. I mean, just the Black Hood chapter alone was like... Oh, man. ...fun to write, but like just ultimately a headache in many ways because of all the fake-outs, the fake Black Hood, their double people, the janitor, Joseph Svensson... Like, the show is absolutely crazy. My poor mother, who's, like, very excited to read the book, has never watched the show. And I'm, like, trying to prep her already. I'm like, I appreciate the support, uh, but it's you're going to think I'm, like, mentally insane. It's crazy. Yeah, I was at um, an author panel a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about adaptations now. And one of they kind of agreed that Riverdale is the most entertaining one because they burn through in one episode what a lot of shows take like five seasons to do. Yes. Oh, it twists and turns, and it's just it's crazy. I mean, even between season two and one, we have like different parents accused of murder and different you know relationships and all of that. So we tried to kind of make a guide in a way to everything happening in the town. But 
you know, by season four. Who knows? It's all going to be twisted again. Yeah. We're obsessed too with how casually they handle like these massive things. Like a, a spoiler alert, if anyone's listening and you haven't watched season three yet, this doesn't really matter. But Archie gets attacked by a bear in one episode. <laughs> that happens. Like almost dies. And then he's back in school the next episode. And he's, of course, shirtless in the, you know, the locker room, which thank like, you. thank God. Uh, but then Reggie looks over. He goes like, dude, what happened? And Archie just goes, I was attacked by a bear. And it's like, it's just dropped. Like, and then everyone moves on. No yeah, one questions it. Then I just go to it. SAT prep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, want to sign up for the musical? <laughs> I'm obsessed. I mean, listen, I wish that this was my high school. I, I want that badly. I would have been in The Pretty Poisons, no doubt. Yeah. You weren't attacked by a bear? No, I wasn't actually, shockingly. But who knows? <laughs> Maybe in my next life. Yeah. Um, so you guys also recorded the audiobook for River Dish. Yes. Yeah, we had so much fun. Again, like, you know, we're used to doing the podcast, but it was something totally different to sit down, like, with what we had written and read it. But we yeah. had fun. It was great the way, like, they had a set up. We, we kind of tried to make it feel just like our podcast. So there are moments where we riff off of each other. Sam and I were like looking at each other the whole time, making faces. So I think that energy carries over. Ryan comes from an acting background. So watching him record this audiobook, I thought I was watching a Shakespeare in soliloquy. His hands were <laughs> flailing about. He was full out acting. It was really, it's quite the sight. And I think when you listen to it, you'll, you'll get that sense of the commitment that he had with this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm very much not Italian, but I was giving, like, full Joy, uh, joy Behar on The View. Oh, you were? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was just remembering how to read. <laughs> <laughs> it's tougher than you think. I feel like when you're really put on the spot, it just, the words don't make sense anymore. Oh, oh that yeah. is so true. And also, like, I pronounce a lot of things my own way, and no one tells me the right way. So I had a, the wonderful producing staff with the audio book being like, no, no. <laughs> this is English, Sam. So that was very helpful. It was also strange to, I mean, this book was our baby. We spent so much time with it day in, day out. And then we, we put it away for a little bit because now we're in the process of pre-publication. And then to go back at it after being away for a little bit and reading it out loud, we're like, oh my God, what did we write? <laughs> yeah, in a good way. In a great way. But especially as the show's gone on too, like we've seen more of season three, it's interesting looking back, and it actually has informed our current podcast, I'd say. Because again, we're reminded of all these plot points that happened. We have like truly become experts of sorts in this show where we're like, oh, we think we know where this could be headed. Is it like weird to go from like, oh, like we just thought like, let's talk about this at brunch and then go home and do it. And then now at the end of season three where you're like literally the experts on it, because not only are you three seasons into that podcast, but you have a full book. Part of me feels like, yes, like this is the craziest thing that's ever happened to us. But also, this show was made for us. I mean, we have the musical episodes. We have so much camp. We have these amazing one-liners, these zingers. I feel like Ryan and I, our humor just ties into the show perfectly. And I think fans of the show all have a similar sense of um, their personalities and what they enjoy. And I think that the show is kept with that. And we've been such fans of it. And I think people that are into it will read this book and be like, oh, Yes, thank you. We know this too. But it is wacky to like think like, oh, would this happen because of our server at Joanne's? <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Joanne's. We should send her a book. We should send her a book. But it's like totally crazy. But then like we'll talk to our friends and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> that tracks. It's, it's weird. Is there anything that's in the book that 
isn't content that's usually featured in the podcast. One thing that was like really, really, really cool is we were actually able to go up to Vancouver to like visit the set. So we did a full set visit. There are going to be photos in the book that people have never seen before. Uh, insider content, like random things that you just never think about. Like one of my favorite anecdotes, and it's so weird, is just how the cast goes to Starbucks together every morning. Uh, they used to all take a van together to go to set and they would just swing through the Starbucks drive through And like, so like we got their Starbucks order. We didn't put their orders in the book, <laughs> but like random things like that. And then asking, like we've become uh, friendly with Casey who plays Kevin on the show. Uh, you know, and I was like, oh, so like was the Starbucks drive through person like shocked when all of a sudden the cast from like the hottest show on television right now, like just pulled through the drive through He goes like, oh yeah, they freaked out, but now they're so used to it. They're just like, uh, the Riverdale kids are here. Like, let's start their order. <laughs> Starbucks is the pops of Vancouver. Yeah, it kind of is. It is. Vancouver's lovely. If anyone ever gets the chance to visit, we, we, we want to we go back. We do. Vancouver's very Riverdale. It's very spooky. The weather is very like gray, but in a fun way. You're going to have to open up a speakeasy under that Starbucks and just start cashing out. Tyler, that's an excellent idea. Yeah. We're going to go into business, the three of us together after this pod. It was cool, too. We went before season three had started airing. So we got kind of a sneak peek at some of the sets. Like we saw La Bonne Nuit before we had ever seen it on screen. We saw the bunker. Yeah. We were like fully shook by that. Just to see the details in the set. Like I had never been to a television set before. And I think I was expecting, or like I guess I growing up, I did one of those like Warner Brothers lot tours, right? And I expected kind of like half sets or like half walls. Riverdale's built like totally in a 360 manner. Like they have built homes on the soundstage like an hour out of the city that are so intricate in detail. Now uh, whenever we see one of the characters like torching a house, Ryan's like, no, I loved that set piece. Yeah, <laughs> and like what are they going to do with it? Yeah. Even crazy, like one of the biggest things that stuck out to me too that I just never thought of is like all of the windows because obviously there's nothing outside. So that's just done through lighting. And now watching it, you see it in a totally different manner of like, oh yeah, there's they're looking out the window, but there's nothing there. There's maybe a screen that they pull in that like has some trees on it. But other than that, it's all the magic of television. Yeah, so going up to Vancouver, we got to learn a lot of secrets and a lot of fun behind the scenes things and tidbits from the actors. So we put that in the book and that's a special bonus along with the recap and the crime analysis in town. Got to say, probably the highlight of my life, uh, we actually had a wine date with Barbara Wallace, who plays Nana Rose. Who's an icon who's and a legend. My absolute favorite character. So just sitting down with her, with like, I think I, what, I had an Aperol Spritz. You did. Which she like didn't approve of. No, no, no. <laughs> She's she like, what are you drinking? It's a very Nana Rose. Yeah. <laughs> she is amazing. She made me drink. I ordered wine and she's like, no, no, no. You want this one. We got the same one because I trust whatever she says. And just even hearing her talk about the show and, you know, she's an older woman, a seasoned actress, and she just also is shocked by the fandom and the cast. And it's really, really interesting to hear different actors' takes on their all their rise to stardom and everything happening with the show. And I mean, listen, drinking with Nana Rose, nothing will ever compare to that. But I can't wait for her to read our book. 
Yeah, so being on set, do you look closer at the details in the scenes to see if you can get anything out of it, knowing how much work goes into constructing them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Again, like all the posters were just so well done and like intricate. Like again, before when we went into the bunker, like they had all the photos up of like the people that had died. So we like, we kind of knew for a little while and obviously didn't spoil it on the podcast. But we felt special for like a month or so having a little inside scoop. Yeah. Um, so now that you're kind of back running blind with everyone else, do you have any theories for? the rest of the season and how it's going to end. Oh, do we? So we talk about this every week on our podcast River Dish about theories and the craziest thing is they seem to change week to week. <laughs> but I think looking at it now through this lens of what we know and how we know the show is, um I think and I think this is a universal theory now according to me and everybody on Reddit, I think that the farm, the gangs, the drugs, everything's connected and someone's behind it. I think Chad Michael Murray is in cahoots with Gladys Jones. And I think um, the Gargoyle King is going to be somebody we know, but in an unexpected way. I think Sheriff Keller has always been suspicious. And I think, um, I don't know, knowing this show, is Chick really dead? Could he come back? I don't know. Is Chad Michael Murray the real Charles? Is he actually dead? There's a lot. But those are theories that I kind of am following right now. Yeah, Chad Michael Murray just started appearing on the show and he's like he's definitely up to something. The cult is now playing a larger role in the show's storyline. Like something's going on in that cult. Yeah, I think so too. And then there's this whole theory about whether or not it's going to go on a supernatural route, but I don't think so. Yeah, the showrunners have promised not going that direction yet, let's say. But I don't know. Even the other week, we like had a theory that I'm now definitely like on board with. Like Hiram and Hermione have like divorced each other now, but it kind of came out of left field. And we're saying like they've been so calculated on every move they've done beforehand. Like this divorce doesn't quite feel real. I think there's more there. We also can't like you were saying that uh, Sam was just mentioning Tom Keller being guilty. We need parents that aren't serial killers. I know. <laughs> like, like someone's got to be good in this town. I know. Can you imagine if it was one of the core four, like Veronica, Betty, Archie? What if Archie's the Gargoyle King? Archie what? could never pull it off. No. No, he can't. But maybe the bear blood got into him and he's like, oh. I'm bear, I'm Gargoyle. Who knows? Could work. Yeah. Good work. Knowing the show. Yeah. Listen, never say never. It was during the Heather's musical when they were like, all of our parents are drug lords and killers now. Yes. Yeah. Again, said so casually. I think everybody in the show is guilty of something. And there's a lot of plot lines happening, a lot of things that get forgotten, but then come back to be important. So our, Ryan and I ourselves were trying to make sense of it and like keeping notes and talking to each other frequently. So we just thought, oh my gosh, this would be the perfect opportunity to actually put this in writing and make sense of it for everybody since we had to make sense of it ourselves. Yeah, just so much has happened on this show. Season one, you had, you know, your 13 episodes, and you were basically centered on the murder of Jason Blossom. You know, pretty tight story. Then season two came along, and the fandom had exploded, but then when they went to 23 episodes, 
the world of Riverdale exploded out, I felt. Like, going in so many different directions. We even have, you know, now Sabrina on Netflix. Even that's a whole other world, which, like, we just touch on a little bit. But it's all connected in a way that I feel like now is the perfect time to try to make some sense of it all. Absolutely. And then they might be getting another spinoff with Katie Keene and Josie leaving. We are so excited about this spinoff. It sounds very up our alley. It's going to be a musical set in New York, and Josie is going to leave it to pursue her dreams of becoming a Broadway actress. Listen. Both Sam and I are big theater people. We are. So, and like, this show is written for us. It is. And we, honestly, as much as I loved seeing Archie and Josie get together, I cannot wait to see her take on the big city in her reinvented smash-like way. It's going to be great. Yeah, even the characters they've announced so far. Uh, well, like Nathan Lee Graham is going to be in it. Lucy Helena Hale. York, Lucy Hale. Like, so into it. Sam and I actually both <laughs> applied to be extras on the show a couple weeks ago. Haven't heard back yet. So no. casting, if you're listening, they probably did some research on us and they were like, we can't have these two on set. But they were looking for artistic theater people and we're like, this is our life goal. Yeah, we're like gay club goers or like- yes. But we're excited to see it. Yeah, and, and they're filming in New York. Yes. It's like when Betty went in to talk to Evelyn for the cult, and she's like, okay. Like, yeah. yeah, like, we'll, we'll call, call you. you later. Yeah, they'll, they'll call us. I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah, but purchase Riverdish, the unauthorized case files of Riverdale, so eventually we can do a Katie Keene book. Yes, because... please. <laughs> I'm oh my God. sure we'll need it. The yeah. Katie Keene audio book, I'm saying in advance, we haven't written the book yet or even been approached to do anything, and if you're <laughs> listening, Barbara Collins, we love you. Um, <laughs> but we'll sing the entire audio book. I can't sing, but Ryan will sing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, like potential spinoff unauthorized files aside, uh, what are you most looking forward to once your book is going to be out in the world? I'm looking forward for like the listeners that we have to have it in their hands and like read what we've done or, or listen to what we've done uh, in, in a more in-depth way. I think it'll be a great tool and resource for people to really get to know these characters better and the shady history of everybody. Yeah. We always love when people like tweet at us or reach out to us with their own theories. So I'm hoping that the book brings more of that on, uh, that they'll read it, tweet at us. We're very easy to find online and we'll instantly respond. So uh, (laughs) interact with us. Maybe I'm most excited to, my grandmother has promised to start watching it because of the book. So this might be the thing she needs to finally get on board. She was a big fan of like the Archie comics growing up. And I think she actually watched the pilot on Netflix and she called me after and was like, just so confused. She's like, <laughs> this isn't the Archie I remember. Like, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, no, but I, I'm excited for everybody to get a taste of it. And I think so many different types of people watch this show and I think it's cool. And I think that everyone wants more when it's done. So now between seasons, you'll have this book to pick up and that's exciting for us. Is it going to be weird if you're like scrolling through Reddit for theories and like someone's like, well, actually on this page of uh, Riverdish, the unauthorized case files of Riverdale, they said this, this, and this. So I think this is going to happen. Oh, we'll live oh for God. that. <laughs> when we had Casey on our podcast, Ryan asked him some hard-hitting questions about Kevin Keller and that got picked up and that made our lives too. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how dark, I don't know how risque we want to go on this podcast. We'll tell you off pod what we asked, but yeah. go back and listen if you're curious. I think we can, uh, like, we can, yeah. we just, we asked the question everyone wanted to know, is Kevin Keller a top or bottom? And it blew up. Blew up. <laughs> Casey actually texted us after, he goes like, 
my publicist is so confused as to why this is popping up in all these Google alerts. And he's yep. like, I hate you guys. And we said, love you. So more of that. Our Kevin chapter is really, it was a, a love letter. <laughs> so stay tuned. I'm still waiting for the show to like give Kevin a real chapter. So We're just waiting to see Innuendo, the gay club they promised. Oh, yeah. 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 Kevin's screen time aside, what else do you kind of want to see pop up in future seasons? Uh, what do you not want to see? I want to see more Chad Michael Murray, preferably with no shirt. <laughs> Um, I want to see, I'm excited to see that homage to the original love triangle of the comics, which was Betty, Archie, um, and Veronica. And so far we've only gotten, you know, season one, we got Betty pining a little bit for Archie, but it was quickly diffused. And now Archie and Veronica have a thing. Jughead and Betty are obviously together, but I think eventually Gossip Girl away, like it'll shift and everybody will get together with everybody. And I'm excited to see that relationships change and whatnot. Yeah, I feel like even when Archie and Betty kiss, they just like kind of brushed it aside again. Yes. yes. And then they teased us with Jughead and Veronica in like the flashback episode. Yes. But then they haven't given us a I know. But there's there's something there. There's always been something there. They're biding their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm always looking forward to more musical numbers. Like the songs they choose on this show are really just like they feel like almost like I'm being trolled in a way. Like they just did a Michael John LaCusa wild party cover. Like It's a deep cut for you theater people. <laughs> like people, like I don't know, I'm not talking down to audiences elsewhere, but that's maybe something that a few hundred like viewers would know the, what it was even a reference to. I could not believe when that started playing. No, and never forget Out Tonight and Milkshake. Oh yeah, never. I, I also... Um, during the flashback episode when they started singing Dream Warriors from Nightmare on Elm Street yes, 3. I yes. texted my brother and I was like, this is weird. Yeah. Insane. But I love when they get like that, like kooky and niche. And I think when they play up the camp, like I'm excited to see more of that, more flashback type episodes. I'd love a spinoff about Nana Rose and her life. <laughs> That's really, we just want more Nana Rose. If I had one big complaint about season three, it's like we haven't gotten enough of her. No. More Nana Rose, please. Yeah. What if Maybe she is the Gargoyle King? Mm, you beat me to it. We just had that epiphany together. Yeah. I see it in your eyes. Yeah. Well, you never know. Gonna go back and stick that in the book. Yeah. Like a little post-it. <laughs> Nana Rose. <laughs> might, an addendum. Might yeah, be can we, Gargoyle King. <laughs> can we put an insert in? <laughs> I think we actually do say that in the book. Or like there's just that she's more suspicious than she lets on. Oh, and like, she is. Look at her eyes. Yeah. There's something else there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that red streak in her hair. Something's something's there. Mm-hmm. It's blood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just like, no one said anything every day. yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, well then I feel like even up until this season we didn't get that much of Penelope, and then they gave us the full backstory. Oh my god! Yeah, we have a brothel in town. The Maple Club. <laughs> yeah, I would 100 percent work there if I was in Riverdale. Just saying. <laughs> but yeah, I mean we have Penelope. I really loved the episode flashing back to the parents. I thought that was really cool. And I love seeing the younger kids play the older characters. And it was so interesting getting their backstory because you kind of understand all the parents so much more. You really do. Did you um, notice when you were narrating some of the um, character profiles that you were like, oh, I get get them a little more now. Oh, absolutely. Especially Penelope, like you just said. I mean, her childhood was really insane. And it makes sense why she's like a psycho mom. Yeah. Same with Hal Cooper. <laughs> I know. I was just, I was actually just thinking that like some like Hal Cooper though, still you're like, okay, listen, we've all been through stuff in life. There are other ways to take out aggression than <laughs> becoming a literal serial killer. Once he turned bad, and we actually mentioned this in the book, but 
characters don't get their scripts until the week before. So you really don't know which way the plot's going to unfurl until very quickly before. So I loved seeing how this season play up like, I'm a dark murderer now. Like, obsessed. Good job. Yeah, even characters, like, no one knows when they're going to die. So people die in scripts, and then they'll get the call the following week of like, hey, we need you back on set on Wednesday. And it's like, oh, so I survived the shooting (laughs) in the woods. (laughs) Like, thank God. So is there anything else that you're excited for readers to kind of find or little Easter eggs in the book for your listeners? Well, I think if you're a fan of the podcast or become a fan of the podcast, we have a lot of um, us in the book. We have a lot of our theories. We have a lot of our um, interpretations of things. And I think there's a lot of fun little notes and and anecdotes that we put in that we're excited for people to find. Yeah, a few months ago, we got sort of a one sheet of all of the names we mention within the book. And just reading through that, we were like, oh, this is just us in a way that hopefully and let's hope you know readers will embrace listeners will embrace (laughs) but we talk about everyone from you know andy cohen and countess luann to to the characters on riverdale like it's a a pretty wide-ranging book uh i would recommend watching the show before reading but if like you want to have a trippy adventure like <laughs> Go for it. Like, read the book and just like, we would be incredible fiction writers if we made up all the stuff that's in there. Absolutely. Yeah. But we're excited for people to read it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's going to be really fun, especially considering where you come from and stepping into the audiobook recording studio. Yeah. yeah. No, we're pumped. Yeah, we hope so. There's even like uh, some milkshake. There's a milkshake recipe in there. Little, uh, little hidden gems. Oh, yeah. And the photos are fantastic and really cool and we just can't wait to share it with the world okay um last question what was your favorite part of the audiobook to record Ooh. Ooh. you know i feel like i'm really putting you on the spot here. i know oh, this is a I great know. question i'm like my favorite okay my favorite part of the audiobook honestly i think just the introduction like ryan I was- and i played off each other and it was just so special to like start the audiobook and it really is like it feels like a conversation between the two of us when we wrote it so just speaking it and recording it and like looking into Ryan's eyes his beautiful eyes it really was just really special and I think you feel the same way right right yeah I was gonna agree I was thinking the introduction as well really kind of all the parts where like we were fortunate enough to be given the freedom to riff off of each other a little bit so yes we are reading the text that's there. You're going to get all that in the audiobook. But then you're also going to get like our asides. And again, like we're reading through the stuff that we wrote a few months ago. So like we're not shy about being like, that was crazy, right? Like yeah. it's very much just the two of us taking this adventure with the listeners, uh, which I think was super fun. So it's like a nice little two for one. Like you can read the book, but then also listen to the audiobook. And it'll- Absolutely. It'll be fun both ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you're into podcasts and listening to audiobooks, I think it's, you know, you get a bunch of extras in what we recorded, which was really special for us. Yeah, it's blurring a lot of lines there with like the book to the audiobook to the podcast and all of them kind of influencing each other. It's the crossover yeah. we didn't know we needed. Thanks for coming in and talking about the audiobook. Oh my gosh, thanks for having River us. Dish, the unauthorized case files. Well, we can't wait for everybody to read it. It's so nice talking to a fellow Riverdale fan. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. Yes. Thanks again to Tyler for his superb interviewing skills and a big thank you to Ryan Bloomquist and Sam Gold 
The audiobook of Riverdish is on sale May 7th, wherever audiobooks are sold. But you're in luck, dear listeners, because you're all so great. To close out the show, we're going to give you a sneak peek of the Riverdish audiobook today, right now. Enjoy this early excerpt from Riverdish. Case file number one, Archie Andrews, height 5'11", age 17, eyes brown, portrayed by K.J. Appa. Archie Andrews suffers from what we like to call pretty boy syndrome. There's an old proverb that goes, if you give a young teen abs, he will lose his brain. Okay, so maybe we just made that up, but it still rings true. After working at his father's construction company over the summer before his sophomore year, Archie magically got ripped. Now, if those are the fitness results that you get from carrying wood and using a hammer, throw us a hard hat and put us to work. We have given half of our life savings to SoulCycle, and all we have to show for it is a graveyard of smart water bottles that we keep meaning to recycle. Ultimately, Archie's main problem is that he is crippled by his own hero complex. Like so many other straight white men, he feels as though he is the solution to the world's problems. Let's call it like it is. He finds true satisfaction only when he is the hero of a situation. Take, for example, his stepping in at the Leopold and Loeb Juvenile Detention Center to save Joaquin from getting beaten to a pulp in the pit. The warden realized that all you need to do to get Archie to do something is to let him feel as though he is saving the day. The Leopold and Loeb Juvenile Detention Center is named after two infamous murderers, Nathan Leopold Jr. and Richard Loeb. Collectively known as Leopold and Loeb, the two young men were wealthy students at the University of Chicago who kidnapped and murdered a young boy in 1924 in an effort to commit what they perceived to be the perfect crime. Appropriately enough, Leopold and Loeb were also featured players in showrunner Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa's play, Golden Age, which was his first foray into the Archie universe. It somehow all makes perfect sense that the man who thought of putting a sexually confused Archie alongside Leopold and Loeb in a play would be the mind that would later go on to create Riverdale. Archie's situation is not helped by the fact that the female attention he receives is so unyielding. When the series first begins, he and Betty Cooper are sitting at Pop's chocolate shop with Betty trying to convey her feelings for him. Ever since playing together in the preschool sandbox, Archie Andrews and Betty Cooper have been the best of friends. Though the two of them would never admit it, most people in town would probably have put money down on the inevitability of Archie and Betty getting married. Two nice kids from well-respected families? It was the suburban dream. And it was hard to miss their obvious attraction to each other. Night after night, they would stare out of their bedroom windows, looking for each other across the street. Occasionally, one would catch the other looking at the same time, only for both of them to quickly retreat to their beds, scared to let on that they were thinking of each other. Before school started again, Betty wanted to tell Archie how she truly felt about him. If only our red-headed friend had not grown so distracted by the Big Apple bombshell who walked through the door. Enter Veronica Lodge. Veronica's eyes met Archie's instantly, as if he were a Chanel sale at Bloomingdale's. Archie had never seen anyone so exotic-looking in his life. In her black cape, Veronica looked straight out of Eva Von Hope's production of The Crucible. Archie was instantly smitten, and just like that, Varchie was born. The Veronica, Betty, and Archie love triangle has divided Archie comic fans for generations. 
Not since Les Miserables has a tale of unrequited love struck such a nerve in popular culture. Cue an auto-tune Betty singing On My Own in an inevitable Les Mis musical episode somewhere down the road. While I'm super into the Veronica-Archie pairing that the show's been exploring, I still pine for the classic hometown sweetheart relationship between Archie and Betty. It's ironic because both of us are exclusively people who date Nick St. Clairs who make us feel badly about ourselves. It's nice to escape sometimes. Okay, enough about love. We're here exploring crime, are we not? At first glance, Archie Andrews does not appear intelligent enough to screw in a light bulb, let alone commit homicide. But could our red-headed friend have ulterior motives? We've watched showgirls more than enough times to know that everyone has a Nomi Malone somewhere deep within. On closer inspection, the one person who stood in the way of Archie becoming star of the Bulldogs was Jason Blossom. How convenient, then, that Jason would just mysteriously disappear one afternoon on Sweetwater River. Hell, Archie even ended up taking Jason's very own football number on the varsity team. Archie's alibi in the murder case of Jason Blossom was essentially that he was more interested in his music career than he was in his football prospects. Oh, Archiekins, has the plight of Troy Bolton not taught you anything? This never ends well. We will give Archie credit where credit is due, because it is rather impressive that he managed to teach himself guitar. The only instrument that either of us mastered was the recorder. But can we talk about those lyrics he wrote? Archie's compositions read like a game of Mad Libs played between the nuns over at the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. They were tragic. Tragic. We cannot topple the patriarchy until we stop giving untalented men opportunities simply because they show interest in fields that are not stereotypically masculine. Riverdale High has actual music superstars like Josie and the Pussycats. Why are we wasting time on this D-list Ed Sheeran? We digress. It's easy to hate on Archie and all the questionable decisions that he makes, but when all is said and done, he does have a heart of gold. Remember when he punched through a sheet of ice with his own bare hands to rescue Cheryl Blossom? Yeah, and then he was magically better the next episode. Like, no scars, no band-aids, whatever. That poor makeup team. Oh, I know. Archie's chivalry really came through when the Black Hood came to town. Fresh off of an incredibly successful Riverdale Jubilee the night before, Fred and Archie Andrews went for breakfast at Pop's. But before Pop Tate even had a chance to put the boys' eggs on the skillet, the morning was interrupted by a masked man with a gun. At first, this seems like one of those terrifying armed robberies that you hear about on the news— On closer inspection, however, it appeared as though something much larger was at play. For the gunman did not seem to be after anything in the cash register. Instead, he targeted Fred Andrews, shooting him and stealing his wallet. The striking green eyes of this masked villain would forever be ingrained in Archie's memory. While most young teens would just be relieved that their father had survived, Archie could not forgive himself for letting his dad come that close to death. He made a pledge to himself that he would never allow harm to come Fred Andrews' way ever again. Frustrated by what seemed to be a complete lack of interest from the town authorities in finding the gunman, Archie decided to take matters into his own hands. He became inspired after meeting Hiram Lodge at a Matchlorette viewing party hosted by Veronica. Remember Matchlorette? Ugh, bring it back. I would watch an entire episode of that. I know, with Kevin Keller as the Matchlorette. Oh, absolutely. As someone with his fair share of run-ins with the law, Hiram informed Archie that when the police are not handling a situation, it is worthwhile to take matters into your own hands. 
With his friends from the Bulldogs and a firearm from Dilton Doily, Archie formed the Red Circle, a vigilante group focused on taking down the Black Hood. Instead of running away from fear, Archie chose to embrace it. Together, the group works to keep the town safe from this masked man with sinister green eyes. Can you imagine doing all of this your sophomore year of high school? It's just typical. Yeah. Of course, it was in trying to protect his father that Archie hurt Fred the most. We both have watched enough Meet the Family weeks on The Bachelor to know the importance of impressing your significant other's parents. That being said, we have never experienced this feeling ourselves, being that all our relationships have been shorter than Mitch Klump's character arc, but we can imagine. Uh, Tell me about it. Macho Man Archie insisted on impressing Hiram Lodge, and Hiram Lodge knew how to play Archie like a fiddle. Before Archie knew it, he was playing Andy to Hiram's Miranda Priestley. Archie went from worrying about receiving a music scholarship to covering up the murders of mobsters like Papa Poutine from Canada. And that's independent of the shady FBI agent who came to town to try to get dirt on Hiram Lodge through Archie. The Lodge's motives may be highly suspect, but we have to give it up to them. Hiring a man to pretend to be a government official just to see how much someone will talk about you behind your back is a boss move. For better or worse, Archie proved his loyalty to Hiram and passed his test with flying colors. Yet, just when we thought that we could close our file on Archie Andrews, he became one of the only people in town to actually be charged with murder in the death of Cassidy Bullock. Archie and the gang came into contact with Cassidy on their trip to the Lodge Lodge at Shadow Lake. Cassidy worked as a cashier at the local convenience store and was more than a little invested in the whereabouts of Betty and Veronica while they were in town. Later that evening, he and his two buddies showed up to rob the Lodge's lake house, but not before Veronica could sneakily press the conveniently placed panic button under her dresser. I wish I had a panic button in every room of my house. You don't? Well, no. (laughs) If only Archie had not felt the need to once again prove his masculinity by chasing Cassidy into the woods after Cassidy ripped Veronica's necklace off her neck. Just seconds after Archie tackled Cassidy to the ground, he was interrupted by Andre, one of Hiram's assistants, who informed Archie that he would take care of the situation. As Archie walked back to the lodge, he heard the sound of a gunshot ringing through the woods. A gunshot that Hiram Lodge would later use against Archie the first moment that Archie showed signs of wavering loyalty. God, the things that this guy does for his girlfriend's parents. In a major power move, Hiram decided to show Archie who was boss by having him arrested for the murder of Cassidy Bullock. We should note that the fact that Hiram now had complete control over the Riverdale police force and judicial system certainly helped his case against Archie. Eventually, Archie pled guilty to the crime in order to not have to extend his trial after the jury failed to reach a conclusive decision. Listen, we have begrudgingly had to watch a few episodes of the People's Court in doctors' waiting rooms, but we have never seen someone want to get out of court so badly that they just pled guilty to a murder that they did not commit. Of course, Archie did not kill Cassidy. But the fact that his DNA was all over Cassidy after their brawl didn't help his case. Hiram Lodge was well aware of this and framed Archie, even going so far as to kill the only other witness to Cassidy's murder, Andre, his own right-hand man. Archie had bought into Hiram's dog and pony show Hook, Line, and Sinker and would now have to suffer the consequences. 
That is what happens when you get wrapped up with someone as cunning as Hiram Lodge. Archie might just be a dumb red brick wall of abs, but he's our dumb wall of abs. A natural brunette, KJ Appa has stated that he can go about two weeks before he needs to dye his hair red again. Up until season three, he also dyed his eyebrows. Scared that he would permanently lose them if production continued on this schedule, Appa now keeps his eyebrows his natural color. Appropriately enough, the actual Archie comic character has dark eyebrows. If anything, Appa's look has become closer to Bob Montana's original vision of Archie. Well, except for the abs. We like to imagine that Bob would not mind. Never change, Archie Andrews. All right, so what's Archie actually guilty of? Okay, so Archie is guilty of being really dumb and hot. Well, I mean, like, being shirtless roughly 70% of the time? Oh, absolutely. Obstructing justice by lying to the police? Constantly, yes. Um, Obtaining illegal weapons? Drag racing? Drug running? And assault. Yeah, he's guilty of a lot, Archie Andrews. Sorry, Arch. That's it for today. If you haven't already, go back and listen to episode three featuring superstar author and sometimes rock star Greg Isles. Then enter our listening party contest to win all four audiobooks we discussed in that episode. That's a prize worth well over $100. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. See you next time. Harper Audio Presents is a presentation of HarperCollins Publishers. Our staff includes Beth Ives, Fametta Sawyer, Nathan Rossborough, and me, Andrew Caberline. Follow us on Instagram at Harper Audio and reach out to us on Twitter at Harper Audio Presents. <laughs>